Hi, I'm Candace Michelle, and this is Our Community. You know, it has been a whale of a week. We went from several inches or feet of snow, depending on how far you live from Fred Meyer, to a beautiful day of warm sunshine today. Now, this is Saturday, and I hope, like me, you had some sunshine today. Warm is, of course, a relative term, but 50 degrees and sunny feels a whole lot better than 34 degrees and hail, or 34 degrees and hail, then snow, then more hail, then some rain. This past week has also seen a remarkable pulling together of people and organizations to open up warming centers so that no more of our unhoused community needs to die from exposure. The woman who died in Gold Beach last week, under some bushes along the side of the road, after being released from the jail, was named Dana Neville, a 62-year-old woman from Portland. She was living in her car with her dog, and her death was 100% preventable. Joining me again today is Brookings Corps Response Executive Director Diana Cooper. Hi, Diana, and welcome to the show. Hi. Yeah, thank you. Good to see that shining little face. With yeah. With well, a hat it's on. Been asleep all with day. With a hat on. Yeah. Is your head cold? It's just uh, bed head because I took a eight-hour nap-ish. I don't even know how long oh, it was. good for you. Good for you. Yeah. Your hair is not long enough to have bed okay? <laughs> <laughs> but that's the problem when you have short hair is, you know, if it's it's a little bit easier to get like a flat spot or something like that because it's just so short. And so, and you know, even though nobody on the radio can see us, this, this is for you, Candace. This is so that you can get through the interview without being like, oh, what's happening? With <laughs> I But it might add some levity. You know, I'm just thinking. You're the one who I'm likes sure comedy. <laughs> Yeah, no. <laughs> so, Diana, um, mm. when we were recording our show last week, you had just successfully uh, gotten a warming center open in Brookings, right? Mm -hmm. That is what happened. It was due to open, or it had just opened? Just or opened, yeah. Just opened. Yeah. So, that's amazing, right? I mean, that... Isn't it's, that kind it's of pretty, amazing? It's pretty incredible considering three years ago, you know, we didn't have any kind of uh, plan or communication. I mean, there's still very little plan. Um, but at this point, it feels like they're all of the players know each other and there's a, there's a lot more potential for things to happen at this point. You know, I even over this last week or so, I've learned oh, who, you know, if we're going to do this, I need to contact this person and, and not who I had previously thought. And so we've sort of untangled um, a little bit of the process in the last week and a half. But that couldn't have happened if we hadn't had started building those relationships for the last three years. And, right. you know, there weren't right. always uh, friendly relationships necessarily, but hopefully everybody else considers that to be amicable because I do. You know, I think we're all just trying to um, help as many people as possible. And maybe those are different populations, depending on who you are. But I still think we all have the same goal. So, you know, throughout the last three years, 
everybody learning who I was, me learning who everybody else was, you know, that led up to the last week and a half. So um, there were so and many It's really people nice involved. when you, you can identify the community partners who are willing and able to put their shoulder into oh, the yeah. load and yeah. help carry it. Yeah, it's, um, you know, and some of them last weekend, so this started on Friday afternoon, actually Friday morning-ish, because I, I had intended on taking the day off because I was just really, um, I was run down. You were and tired. So I was tired. <laughs> and so I had texted my staff and said, you know, I'm going to be out today. And at first I said, uh, I'll probably be there by noon. And then I texted later and said, actually, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and take the day because um, I just need a day off. And everybody was like, yeah, that's that's great. And then bef a little bit before noon um, is when I got a email started and then calls started and we kind of jumped in to get this going. So by Saturday evening, we had um, a warming center set up uh, downtown in Brookings and had you know, volunteer lists going and um, all of that. So it, it took a good 24 hours to get our feet under of us and figure out where. phone calls and oh, constant yeah. emails and constant. Hours and I mean, hours and hours I remember hours chatting with you Friday night a little bit, and it was like you were just like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. You know? Oh, man. Yeah, I didn't even know which way was up on, on Friday. And I've had several people you know, ask, well, how, how come you didn't call me or text me? And, you know, it was, it was very difficult to get all of that done that we did get done. And so what I can say is, um, I, I only was on the phone with the people that were essential in opening this because there was just no time for anything else. And that's not what you want in some, uh, you know, an event like this. You want plenty of time to be able to contact all the partners, get all of the clients um, on board and aware of what's happening and where it's at, and you know, get all, make sure all of your eyes are dotted and T's are crossed. But we just we didn't have that time, and so I'm sure there are a lot of people that are still wondering, like, well, how come Diana didn't call me? And just know that there wasn't there wasn't even a minute. Um, between calls, I, I was joking with Cora because Cora was also very much, you know, we're talking about Brookings because obviously Gold Beach had one, Port Orford had one, but Cora and I were really, um, focused in on Brookings and then several other people. There's, there's almost too many people to name, but, um, I think we'll probably do a, a thank you or some sort of recognition here soon and try to get as many names and organizations um, that were involved on that so that people are aware just of how big this was. Um, but Cora and I were both kind of um, joking around on Saturday that I had told her, I don't think I've hung up on anybody yet in all these calls. I think that I've been interrupted. Um, you know, it's it's been constant, oh, so-and-so's beeping in, let me switch over, let me call you back. And so there wasn't very many calls where I actually hung up. It was somebody beeping in on someone else, and it just... That's just how, wow. it, you know, that's how it was. And we learned a lot. We hope it's not like that in the future. And, you know, we're going to have some really good debrief sessions on what went well, what didn't. We had a great debrief session with um, Humble Area and Wild Rivers Community Foundation. Um, I think on Tuesday. Yeah, last Tuesday. So that we're recording on Saturday night. So this was just this last Tuesday. 
And we were able to, um, as a county, we were all able to, to process and debrief. And then we broke out into our own city, our own cities and areas and debriefed together and then came back. And so there was some good information from that and something we can build off of. Um, and the Humboldt Area yeah. Foundation bought in in terms of money, right? They, they, oh, they, they, yeah, yeah, they basically came in and said, you know, we, we don't want money to be the reason somebody's dying. So t tell us Absolutely. what you need. And, um, you know, they were fully supportive from the beginning. And so we're grateful, very grateful for them. And they're going to continue to be supportive. You know, we have meetings next week with them to talk about ongoing plans and Perfect. what all of this looks like. Right. Yeah. I saw a, uh, a press release that was written that said something like um, Humboldt Area Foundation provided thirty three thousand yeah. dollars to Curry County, which is yeah, and and wow. I think that's honestly just a start. And I'm sure that there are other um, foundations and funders, and we had some community donations as well. That I want to say that community donations are the most important donations and I don't, that's not lip service. That is mm -hmm. when somebody donates $20, when somebody donates a hundred dollars, um, we are able to use that in ways that, that fill gaps that we, we can't use other funding oftentimes. And so those are the most important, um, donations and, and funding streams for nonprofits. And specifically for us, I know we, we feel that mm -hmm. way. So, I really want to encourage people. I know it doesn't feel like, you know, 10 bucks or 20 bucks makes a difference, but it really does. And, you know, we have some people who sign up to donate 10 bucks a month and it's not a lot, but all together, um, it's, it's pretty significant for us and it's flexible for us. We, we can fill gaps that we can't fill with other funding. So that's my little blurb yeah. to yeah. the community. Well, it, it all, it's also really useful because it it shows you that people in the community are supportive. Yes, um, yeah. You know, and and it's not it's not just that they say good work. It's like they they really put their money where their mouth is, and that yeah, that makes. And a we've difference. had we've had people that um, not just donate but call to give to give support or volunteer their time, who were not previously. Um, supportive of the work that we're doing. And I don't mean just us as Brookings Core Response, but I mean, you know, St. Timothy's, the coalition, um, a lot of agencies that we don't necessarily get. Um, it's pretty divided, the support we get. And this mm -hmm. did not feel divided at all. I've, I haven't had any, um, I don't know how, you know, the coalition feels or how they feel up in Port Orford, but I don't, I haven't had any negative responses, not even one. So, and hopefully that continues and to stay isn't that Isn't that kind of remarkable when you think back over the the past couple of years and the and the kind of pushback that has happened, like at the at the library during that um, right forum? You know, it's it's it it's delightful to not feel that pushback. It's and delightful. There is a particular individual from um, that event that was at the library, the Project Turnkey Forum, um, mm -hmm. that was very outspoken against us and has given us a lot of support the last week and a half. Um, you know, social support and verbal support, mm -hmm. and not necessarily funding, but um, 
the way that they've communicated with us. And I think that I think that Gold Beach has had this as well, where they've had people step in and come in and volunteer their time and donate money that um, have have even spoken out at county and city meetings against the work that is happening. And so it's a 180. And I we really knew that this was the potential because really uh, all it takes is for people to sit down and talk with us and actually see what's happening um, and dispel some of those myths that they're holding that is causing them to feel um, reactive toward the work we're doing. Uh, One of the myths, um, you know, that we hear and that we've talked about on this show is that you know, well, there's resources for that. So people, if people aren't accessing those resources, it's by choice. And then somebody gets in and they start doing this work. And we have one volunteer who told me yesterday that it's been very humbling because she realized through her volunteer work the last week and a half that what she thought was in place for people was not the case. And, um, and so she's sort of changing her opinion about maybe the people that are out there and not necessarily that uh, they're choosing that lifestyle or that they're or that it's even a lifestyle in general that it's really an unfortunate situation that people are struggling to get out of and um, she's seen the gaps for herself she's asked a lot of questions like well well why don't we you know why isn't this why can't we call this and and have this happen or why isn't there this resource available here and when we explain it you know, it's definitely eye-opening to know that those things that she thought were not, um, they're not true. And so I think more people, we know that there's a potential for us to come together with community members and with leadership um, if we could just get the message through about what's really happening. And, you know, sometimes that does happen and it doesn't change minds, but most of the time it does. So well, and particularly we when we more. have something like like Dana dying, right? Right. I mean that that was a tragedy, and and that kind of a tragedy hits hits hard. You know, yeah. I mean, e- even for people who you know had no idea who she was or what her story was or any of that stuff, to know that a woman died in the cold. Very close to where a warming center could have happened, you know, right? Very close to where buildings, safe buildings and spaces were. Yeah. Right. Like, just think of it. it, Just take the homelessness out of the picture um, and imagine that, you know, you're sitting in your car on your way to the hospital because you don't feel good and, and you die, you have a heart attack or something and you die in your car and you're so close to that service and, um, you know, that one's, that's not maybe the best analogy because that it's hard to prevent that if you're already on your way. But the fact of the matter is, is that a human life was taken. Um, and I, I believe in the rule of law and I believe in, you know, a lot of the regulations that were placed that, that we place on ourselves are really necessary for the human race but they don't necessarily work all the time for the individual person. And so at some point we have to say, okay, is a human life worth the discomfort or worth the comfort, I guess we have from, you know, if we have this law in place that people can't sleep in their vehicle, 
um, because we don't want to see trash, because we don't want to see um, other uh, illegal activities, and because we don't want to see the mess that is homelessness that, that we have, you know, frustration with. Um, but at the end of the day, when a woman dies because of that law, is that law really helping us? Is it really, because what if that is you? Are you, do you not care? If, you know, if you lose your housing, do you not feel that you have a right to sleep in your vehicle? I don't know anybody that feels that they have no right to sleep in their vehicle. I, about a year and a half ago, and I don't think very many people know this because, um, you know, I'm not, I don't talk a lot about, I talk a lot, but I don't talk a lot about um, all my personal stuff. But about a year and a half ago, I was really struggling with my mental health. And it might not have even been that long ago, maybe a year. And, um, you know, I have a lot of health conditions and this job is very taxing. And if you have lived experience, there's this, it's not just the secondary trauma, but it's like re-triggering of, you know, old situations, my homelessness, my addiction. And there was a, a night where I, there was a day uh, where I woke up and I was in such a bad place that I truly believed that nobody on earth deserved to hear the things that I had to say. And it would be better if I just went somewhere where nobody was around for the day and not communicate with anyone. And so I did. I left my phone. I mean, it wasn't, certainly I would not advise people to do this, but I left my phone at home. I drove, I won't even say where, because I really just, that might be a space I need to use again. Um, but it was not in town. I, I went, left town. And, um, you know, the, the, the bad part about that was I didn't tell anybody where I was going or what was happening. I just, I needed to not speak to humans at the moment. And um, I went out of town and I spent the entire day just really breaking down and um, grieving. For, for what's happened over the last few years. And that night, I still wasn't ready to come home. And I drove close to town and pulled over and I slept in my car for a couple of hours. And I wasn't bothered. Nobody bothered me. But um, that's my right. That's my right to sleep in my vehicle on public property. Um, there was I was hurting nobody. And if I had littered and somebody saw that, then cite me for that. Don't tell me to leave my vehicle. Don't, don't tow my vehicle. Don't make me go somewhere else because you're uncomfortable with seeing humans out on, you know, I mean, we're, it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. We're just, we're sleeping in our vehicles. So the secondary, um, you know, the secondary issues that people are having with the litter and the substance use and all of that, those have their own laws and regulations. And we don't need to put laws in place to preemptively stop that if it infringes on human rights that oftentimes are life and death. And so I think that this is something that we should be evaluating. Brookings, Curry County, you know, I'm sure the state and the country, but I'm really, I really want the city of Brookings to take a better look at this law that is on the books that states that a person cannot sleep in their vehicle and really decide if if that's causing harm or if it's the secondary issues that you know we already have laws in place for so yeah because i mean you know that it it does not actually cause any harm for somebody to sleep in their vehicle it does not there, right there's it no may harm cause caused. 
It may, you know, if, if, you're, if they're sleeping on your street or whatever, or you're, you know, the fact that when we don't know things, we start assuming things and we start... Um, assuming the worst. We all, yeah, we all do that, of course, mm-hmm. um, at one time or another. But we also know that that's not reasonable. And so we reflect on it and evaluate how we're thinking. Um, but we don't enact laws every time our thoughts get out of hand. And so when not. you see someone, <laughs> I hope not, um, because that is infringing on our rights, then your discomfort um, means that I lose rights. That doesn't make sense. If there's right. an actual threat, let's talk about that. But when you see someone sleeping in their vehicle on your, your street, you know, the, the knee-jerk reaction that this person could be dangerous, that is a bias. That's, that's absolutely a bias. I work around um, the people that, you know, are concerning to our community. I work around those people all day. I don't have to watch my back. I don't, oftentimes they have my back. Um, and so there are, there's, you know, even a couple of individuals, clients that we've had really uh, negative encounters with, and it's, it, we've had to have law enforcement calls. I'm not concerned about them. They're not a threat to me. They, and, and if that's the case, it'd be pretty rare, you know? So I think that the, the pearl clutching and the knee jerk reactions is, uh, why we're enacting these laws. And that's not valid. That's not valid enough to take a life. Right. And it's, it's not actually based in real experiences. You know, it's it's right. th- those knee jerk reactions are based in something that somebody else told you. you right, should be most afraid of the time. Of. Sometimes they are. Sometimes, you know, I've heard uh, I heard an individual who had said, "Well, um, someone had cussed out his daughter and grandchildren, and mm-hmm. um, you know, made threats and whatnot." And so this this person, I've had people tell me. Well, yeah, I I had an interaction with someone who was homeless, and um, they were making threats to me, and all. So I I don't know what that's about. Um, I like I said, I I interact with people who are homeless far more than the rest of the community outside of a few other providers, and I don't get those threats never. So that to me speaks to a personal interaction you're having, and and I very much think that 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 comes from the bias on your end as the, as the individual in a position of, um, I mean, you have a position of power and authority because you can call the police, whereas these right. people are usually afraid of the police and, and don't often do that, including when crimes are committed against them. So, so I wonder if that is your personal experience and you have had those experiences, what have you done to contribute to it rather than just look at that person and say, um, well, they're the reason why I felt unsafe. They escalated it. I had to call the police. What did you do as well? And I'm, this is not victim blaming for those who've been, um, who have been attacked, who have been in those positions. But when I'm hearing the actual encounters that happened, when people are talking to me about those, there are certain things I can pick out from that and say, oh, well, I mean, that's not how you would treat a normal person. Why did you say that to this person? Because any person in their right mind would respond pretty reactively if you did that. And so um, it's, and, and then there are times where people describe to me situations um, and they're talking about somebody who is an addict and they're, they're correlating that to homelessness. And they're saying, well, my daughter's 
um, ex was an addict for a long time and a deadbeat and blah, 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 and was abusive to her. That's not the person on the street and the homelessness. Just even if that person ended up on the street and was homeless, that's your personal experience that you had with this person. When you have a relationship with someone for a long time, you're going to have negative interactions. Do not correlate that with an entire group of people and certainly do not create laws based on your own personal experience. Laws are created based on large statistics that um, show that we would be safer if we enacted this. So I'm not seeing that. I'm not seeing why we need to have it illegal for people to sleep in their vehicles. I'm seeing that that's, that's a dangerous law and it's based in bias. And I think that, you know, it, 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 it's even more complicated or can be more complicated because when, when you look at what um, Dana Neville went through, so she was, she was sleeping in her car. Uh, I've read that she was at a, a campground illegally, so I don't know what that means. It means she didn't buy a pass or something. Right, I right, yeah. Know, right? Okay, so she's, quote, illegally at a campground, um, and the police, you know, told her that, that she had to go, and evident, according to the report that I've read, uh, she lashed out and, you know, I don't know, was abusive mm -hmm. to him or something. So think about that for a second. You know, you're Dana, you're in your car with your dog. It is all you've got, all you have between you and the snow. And a cop comes up and tells you to leave for no good reason, okay? I mean, that's not a good reason for you if you're going to freeze to death. Right. Yeah, for, you the, for the community right? and, and those who aren't aware, yes, that's a good reason because you didn't pay to be there, you don't belong there. You know, that's a, a business, whatever the case may be. Right. But for you in your, and in, in I want to remind everybody, it was snow on the ground. This was not, this did not happen today where the sun came out. And this was a right. few weeks ago. There was snow on the ground. We're in the middle of one of the coldest um, and, and most precipitous um, winters that I've lived through in Brookings. And I've been yep. here since I was born. So, yep. um, yeah, that if I were Dana, that would seem unreasonable in the moment. It it would Absolutely. be okay to um, make a connection with this person and say, let's try to figure this out in the morning or let's talk about what options there are. Right. But instead, she got arrested, her car got towed, her dog got taken away from her. So again, picture yourself as Dana, right? Your Your dog, which is your only family, your mm -hmm. only family is taken away from you. Your car is towed, so you can't go back to your car anyway because it's now been towed. Mm -hmm. And they take you to jail and they process you and, you know, blah, blah, blah. By the time they, they released her the next day, her dog is gone because it's in the humane shelter. Uh, her car is gone. I mean, you know, they said that they offered her a ride back to her car. It, for what purpose? Mm -hmm. You're going to give her a ride back to her car, which has been towed, which means it's got to be in a lot somewhere. And if it hasn't been towed, and let's say it was there, which I know I understand it was not, but if it was there, 
then you'd be taking that person back to the situation you said that it was wrong for them to be in in the first place. Exactly. And that's my that's my problem with this right. whole situation. And just for the people out there, you know, who maybe are struggling to put themselves in Dana's shoes, and, and that's fine. It, it is difficult sometimes unless you've been out there. Sometimes it's a little bit hard to imagine that you're in this situation. And we want to justify all of the things on our end so we feel good. So we're like, you know, well, what led up to this? Why was she in that situation in the first place? And for just a minute, I, I just want people to think whatever the situation was that led up to this, was it worth a death sentence? Was it really worth that? Because I can't think of anything that she could have done that really warranted this. Um, if she had committed a crime and, you know, was due to receive the death penalty, well, obviously that didn't happen because she was out, you know, out on the streets. Right. And so what did she do? What, what, is, what has any human done um, outside of, you know, some pretty malicious murder and, and torture and all of that? What has just a normal, everyday, average person done uh, uh, to deserve a death sentence like that? To freeze to death? I can't think and of And I mean, it any, looks anything. like what she did was she was poor. Mm -hmm. That's what it looks like she did. And she was no, poor. regardless of how she got to that situation, yep. because yep. that is that is something people will bring up and have is, yep. you know, well... Um, maybe she had mental health issues. Maybe she used substances. And I don't mean her necessarily. I just mean in general right. when we're talking about these situations. It's There's a lot of justification for um, why we shouldn't care why the person's out there. And maybe the, maybe all those things are true. But if we just look at that day, what did she do that day that deserved a death sentence? Nothing. Yeah. Exactly. Even if she had stolen a camping spot for the night, that does right. not deserve the right. death sentence. Because it's not like there was a line waiting for that camping right. spot. Right? And if I mean and if the if the argument is that well we couldn't have predicted that it would have been a death sentence, I think it's safe to say that a 62-year-old woman being released onto the snowy streets at night is not going to fare well. That's pretty right. torturous. Why why would someone deserve that? Right. So, I right. don't I don't want to go lay out on the street in the snow and i'm th i'm not even 35 and i just i can't imagine and i, I heard well. that that one of the um if the police said that well if if her clothing hadn't been wet if she hadn't gotten caught in the rain she probably would have made it her her clothing would have protected her from the cold well it was raining though yeah <laughs> i mean it was of course she was going to get wet there's going to be, I'm sure, you know, if I had been the arresting officer or I had been even a person involved in that, um, because prior to her passing, you know, everybody was, everybody on that side of the law was assuming we're, we're doing the right thing. And then afterward, how do you grapple with that? You know, that you potentially, maybe you weren't doing the right thing, but you were following the law. So you right. had to have been doing the right thing, but it led to something that shouldn't have happened. And so, there's there's definitely a grappling that happens, and this is very very common. And there's there's going to be a lot of justification um, on their end. And at, I don't at this point there really isn't any justification. I think we need to accept that that shouldn't have happened, and 
find ways to prevent that from happening in the future. And I and I'm not sure that it it necessarily has to be, you know, a personal thing like well, officer XYZ did this because it seems to me that again it is systemic. Yes. It's about the rules that we make. It's about the assumptions that we make about a certain class of people. Um if if you're releasing somebody out into the cold, do they have enough clothing? Are have you are you just checking on them to make sure that as a human being they have a chance mm-hmm. back out on the street that that you caused that incident by arresting them. So do they have a chance? And if not, then systemically we need to fix that. And this and is I saw what, where where one of the things mm-hmm. was that you know well they couldn't hold her on a on a mental uh, hold that they used to be able to hold somebody for 24 hours if they if there was a possible mental health thing you know don't don't blame that law <laughs> for the carelessness of letting her go of putting her back out on the street without the proper things to protect her yeah i think that this is the conversation that's been happening the last couple of years that has really divided people Um, which has a lot to do with, you know, is it the individual police or is it the systemic issues itself? And, and the majority of us are saying it's the, it's the system. Um, you know, there's a, there's a concept that we talk about at work and, um, I, I don't remember if we've talked about it on this show. Have I mentioned the term moral injury? Did I, did we talk about that at all? Yes. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. So we talk about that a lot at work. Well, we, you know, we talk about a lot of different things. And recently, we've started talking about this term moral injury, because um, it really can lead and contribute to high levels of burnout. And I think that I think that this is really prevalent in our law enforcement. Um, You know, if you, if your job is to uphold a rule, which by the way, rules in and of themselves are can be very stressful, because the rule is there. You know people are going to be breaking that. And so if you're the person in authority, you have to have a certain amount of armor around you to uphold this rule. Um, and if you're in law enforcement, you you don't have as much discretion as you think. You know, I, I have a lot of discretion in our policies and procedures and what we're allowed to do. You know, if, if we allow people to come in and get hygiene bags twice a month, that's we have a hygiene closet. You can come in twice a month, get a bag. If somebody comes in and they want a few things, we encourage them to get the whole bag so that they're not using up their trip for a few things. If someone comes in and it's towards the end of the month or whenever, and they say, I really need some items, we we are allowed to, I mean, there is no, there's no repercussion for us to bend that rule. When you're in law enforcement, there's much less discretion about the rules of your job. And um, we talk about moral injury, which... I'll kind of just give you the brief. So moral injury is the experience of having a disconnect between what you think society should be doing, uh, the value and the good that you see in society, and then the pain and suffering of the people who are being failed by society. And so you're grappling with this, um, you know, 
we're humans and we're in, we're good and we're we're trying to do good in the world, but then you're seeing people suffer, and so the two things aren't connecting, and it can cause moral injury. And for us as service providers, that you know we have ways where we try to mitigate that, um, but at the end of the day, there are times where um, we see that a service, maybe not even our own, maybe we see that. Uh, another social service that is responsible for this specific service in the community is not working and we're seeing people suffer and we're trying not to um, be angry with the individual people working in these services, uh, but we're trying to figure out what's wrong and, and help fix it. And sometimes we have to enforce rules that don't coincide with our own values. And so we're, we're, grappling with that. And it's, it does cause injury to us, especially if someone is harmed. Um, and so there's a lot of that that happens. And in law enforcement, I can only imagine, um, you know, if you go into law enforcement thinking you're there to save lives, and yet you're constantly being called and weaponized against other humans. And that, that's really true. You know, as a matter of fact, um, with the warming center that happened, there was an incident where um, law enforcement did have to be called. And, you know, it was, it's a very, very complicated issue. And it was not the outcome that I would have liked to have seen. And I'm grappling with that. You know, we weaponized the police against an individual um, that really wasn't doing anything wrong other than... Um, inappropriately trying to find space to be. And, and so this person could have ended up, this person could have ended up dead as a matter of fact. And so, you know, at the end of the night, it's like, I did the right thing, but did I do the right thing? And Mm -hmm. so if you're, if you're in law enforcement and um, you have to create some sort of armor around your feelings and around your morals and around your ethics, or you have to change your ethics. And that does happen. Law enforcement officers um, do, uh, agree, you know, I'm sure it's a process of education, but sometimes I'm not sure, you know, like, let's say we radically decided to change everything about our systems and our law enforcement, and we decided um, just overnight, we're going to pull back all these laws that are harmful to individuals, unless they're absolutely necessary. So now you have an officer who comes in the next day, who has to enforce totally different sets of laws. So they have to be okay with themselves at the end of the day. So that means they have to almost evolve their own ethics. And so that's what happens when you go into these positions is you, you have to change. I'm not going to say change your ethics, but I will say that there are changes that happen within our Mm -hmm. own personal ethical code when we become a position of authority. And I'm, I'm guilty of that as well as a director. You know, there are, there are things that I have to think about differently now that I'm not the one doing the work. I'm the one overseeing the work. You know, I have to think about it differently. I have to think about insurance. I have to think about liability. Um, I have to think about all these things that people I have nothing to do with. I was not even born when these systems were put in place, um, but I, I am responsible for following them. And so there are times where I have to say no to one of my staff who is just trying to help someone um, because of the risk, because of whatever. So there are parts of us that change um, 
And sometimes they don't change, but we still have to follow them. And it's very complicated. And I imagine that law enforcement um, grapples with that every day. And so... You know, I don't know what the answer is there for them. No, I'm I I don't either, and I'm I'm quite sure that they they grapple with it as well. I mm-hmm. remember when they um, passed the ordinance in Brookings, um, making it illegal to sleep in your car on a city street, mm-hmm. and I remember, and I I don't remember if it came from the city council. I can't remember who who said this, but they. They said, well, the officers um, can be judicious in their uh, yes. in, in how they enforce this. I mean, they, right. they don't have to enforce it. They can enforce it. At least it's, it's there for them as a tool if they need right. it, which is like, mm, wow. Yeah. So that just, when you create a law like that, um, and specifically, I mean a law, like an ordinance or whatever, mm. when you create a law like that, that you're automatically creating it um, with the intent that it could be flexible. Yep. You are opening the door for discrimination. Yes. And that's never what we should have happening. We, sh- we should be creating laws that are succinct, that are exact, that are, I mean, obviously, there's always some sort of flexibility. There's, there's human error, there's whatever. But we shouldn't purposefully be creating laws that, that are there as a tool if we need it, as opposed to one that is absolutely necessary and is crucial for the safety and the survival of humankind. So, or, or animals, yep. you know, or the environment. Yep. But um, to create a law and to say, I, re- I remember that as well, because I went to that meeting to speak out against mm-hmm. this. And one of the things that was said, um, and I certainly won't throw anybody under the bus, but one of the things that was said was, you know, well, this really doesn't change anything because this is kind of how they've been operating anyway, so it's it's not really going to change much. And my response to that was that's that's absolutely incorrect because you're now setting a baseline. You're now yep. saying this is our normal as opposed to, well, the normal is we don't unless we don't bother with it unless we see an actual crime being committed. And so now right. we're taking that and we're flipping it and we're saying it's a crime automatically but maybe we'll let it go sometimes. That's not how that's not how laws are no. meant to to be. No, because, because that, you're targeting. Oh, mm-hmm. I mean, you you you. That is telling targeting. an officer. Yeah, I need you to be discriminatory in the way that you enforce this law. And for laws like this that affect people's lives, that has the potential for a lot of danger and a lot yep. of um, harm to come to to the individuals who are at the other end of that. Which we've we've seen in Dana's case, obviously. Because obviously a person isn't sleeping in their car because they think it's more comfortable. No. I mean, come on, people. They're sleeping in their yeah. car because it's a last resort. Yeah. I mean, and is- there's so many reasons why people sleep in their vehicles. Like uh, me, you know, perfectly good bed here at home. But I really... I really needed, needed to be space. away yeah. from humans at mm-hmm. that moment in time. And I'm sure that mm-hmm. that's not everybody's case, um, even most of the time, but it, it really doesn't matter. I don't, we have rights and we, we have freedoms as Americans. We, we're allowed to do, you know, outside of harming individuals, harming the environment, harming animals, you know, we, we do have freedoms. And so that to me felt like 
especially coming from um, a lot of conservative leadership, I'm, I'm, I was very shocked that this, this approach was taken. This is not a very conservative uh, approach to laws. Right. So you have, you have the right to carry a gun, but you don't have the right to sleep in your car. Right. It's a little odd, isn't it? <laughs> yes, because I mean, both of those can lead to additional um, legal issues, right? If yes. You have the right to carry a gun, but you could just walk up to someone and shoot them. So we don't make the gun illegal just in case you shoot someone who's innocent. Well, right. we shouldn't make sleeping in your vehicle illegal just in case you litter or just in case you're using drugs or just in yep. case you're whatever. Yep. So, yep. Um, you know, yep. there are, I think, are preventative laws that are important, um, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to the environment and when it, become, when it comes to the protection and safety. Um, you know, we have a lot of regulations in place for work workplaces so that employees are not subject to, um, well, you know, one that's in question right now is um, so that so that young children are not are not um, allowed to work beyond what you know, they sh I mean, honestly, like should not even be working in certain environments. And that's I one mean, that right now is being called into question. Don't we have child labor laws? I thought right. we did. <laughs> but there are, that, there are people pushing those things. And yeah. those are laws we have in place to prevent and protect. Why are we pushing those yeah. laws? So, right. yeah. It's an interesting and complex issue. And, mm -hmm. and I think that we, we sometimes make things more difficult than, than they need to be. Um, by trying to be preventative instead yes, yeah. of, you know, uh, obviously I don't think kids should be working in sweatshops. So that's right. not the kind of thing I'm talking about. You don't? About. No. I really don't. I definitely don't send my kids to sweatshops. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so tell me how, how successful the warming center was. Well... You know, I don't know who who holds the measure of success, but I'll say that we you consider do. it. <laughs> you, you well, that's get good. To. Yes, wildly yeah. successful. Then, um, so you know, we had it. It actually every night kind of got a little bit better and better. We got a little bit more um, familiar with what it was going to look like and what we needed to do again to to prevent the negative outcomes and. Um, and it and it doesn't always work, but we had a lot of success. We had four nights, um, I, so Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday night. Um, we had the warming center open, and then we had it again last night. So on, again, this is, we're taping this on Friday, or I mean on Saturday. So this would have been Friday night. Um, mm -hmm. And so the first night last Saturday, we had I think there were nine individuals, and then the second night we had ten. And then the third, we had 15. And I believe the last night, we actually had 18. Mm -hmm. And then last night was very, very small because we were not, we didn't organize early enough. And so I want to say that there were five individuals last night. Um, and so last week, it was, I mean, it was successful all of the nights we had it. There was no incidents. Everybody was, you know, really grateful. We had food. We had supplies available. Um, and, uh, I, and actually last night, about the middle of the night, we got contact from, um, both law enforcement and the food bank. And I think the food bank was involved because, um, obviously Olivia is, was with the fire department. And so maybe that's why they had contacted her, but we got a call in the middle of the night that, um, law enforcement had an individual who was, who was freezing and needed somewhere to be. 
And mm. so I they, I got the question, you know, they said, can we bring this person in? Because normally it's once the doors are shut, it's kind of, that's that. Right. And, and obviously, you know, my answer was, of course, like, of course, we'll bring that person in. And I think that they, there was a question because of the animal that they had. And um, so it was not fully relayed to me that they had quite a, a pretty large dog that there was concern that it might, I don't know, maybe be aggressive. I'm not sure. So for whatever reason, that person didn't end up coming in, but law enforcement actually um, helped them find a space where they could be and provided them with blankets and um, comfort so that, and I think checked on them through the night and and let this person know if you change your mind um, to give us a call. And so that, that whole incident, I, the whole incident is very heartwarming to me that, um, because I'm not looking at this as, oh, the individual police are being nice now. I'm looking at this as, oh, the system might have a, we might have a crack in it where we, we can get in and we can help heal this divide. Um, and, and I don't think the divide is there because law enforcement doesn't want to deal with this. I think the divide is there because there was never really an, uh, there was never really a resource for them to pull from. And so if you know going into the situation that there's no good outcome for the person, you're going to you're going to guard your feelings. You're going to to put the armor around your heart, and you're going to present in a very um, gruff way because it's easier. Um, it's so funny because this actually goes both ways. So if you were a law enforcement officer or a social service agency or whoever, and you're going into a situation knowing you don't have an answer for this person, um, it's easier to reject that person first so that they don't, you know, get upset with you. It's easier to just say like, well, that's just not something that's available. That's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. You have to go. We don't have an answer. Now in social services, obviously we're trying to um, find a better way to manage that. And so we're tell- we're, we're trying to empathize with them and, and we have the time to spend with them. Whereas law enforcement, you may not have um, an hour to sit with this person and, and, and try to help them be okay, even though there's not a really good resource. Um, but on the other side of that, you know, we have people ask like, and this is true. We have people ask us, well, why are they, meaning people who are without shelter, why are they, um, you know, so aggressive sometimes or so angry or why do they, um, behave in ways that are not socially acceptable basically is the question we're being asked. And the answer is very much the same as why law enforcement, um, can be very gruff. It's much easier to guard your heart and reject them first than it is to feel the pain of, I don't have an answer and, or, you know, if you're someone on the street, it's, it's easier to blame the figure, the authority figures, um, than it is to think that you might be at fault for your own situation. And sometimes it's true that they're they're not at fault for their own situation. Um, which is a different dynamic. But so it's really interesting because I see it happening on both sides and I see both sides very confused about why it's happening. And so that's why I think these conversations are important um, to have so that we can all understand like, oh, we're all just humans trying to help other humans, trying to help ourselves. And the, the, the gap here is not wanting to feel your own pain if you're homeless or the other person's pain, not wanting to empathize with the other person because it's painful to say to someone, you deserve better and I don't know what that is. 
It's very. And I can't get it for you. It's and I I have no idea how to help yeah. you. And yep. sometimes that really is the answer, but it's it's very hard to say. And so if you were a law enforcement officer, I imagine it would be much easier just to be um, removed emotionally from the situation. And I'm not saying they all are. We we have some very compassionate officers, but that's why we say it's systemic, and um, we're not talking about. Um, the individual human as an officer. I think that they're a product of their work and their environment, and um, sometimes that job changes them. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of times, no matter who you are, whatever job you're working changes you in oh, some God, subtle yeah. ways. Yeah, you know, that's, I mean, that's that's just the nature of yep. You know, that, of just, interacting and growing is you're always right. changing, and and that's not always in a direction that aligns with uh, good morals or good, right, good healthy right. Um, feelings. Yeah. So you said that the the center is open um, tonight. No, it was open last night. So it's not so open tonight. It is not so open how, tonight. How how is that? How does it work? Are there are yeah. there certain conditions? You know, blah blah blah. And so I think I want to caveat this with this is probably going to evolve over the next who knows weeks, right. days, months, years, um, I'm sure it'll just continue evolving. But at the moment, um, a lot of it really has more to do with capacity than it does the weather. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, when the, when we know, like last night, we knew the weather was going to be down to 33. And so um, there's, it's almost like, well, there's no question, we have to get this open. So let's just find the people and plug them in. Um, we We haven't had a time yet where we haven't found the people, but there, it, you know, like like last night, we didn't have any extra people, so we in terms we of knew, volunteers. In terms of volunteers, yes. So this Got this it. is volunteer based because, mm -hmm. um, you know, nonprofits are honestly it is the worst system of funding services. We the way that we fund our law enforcement services is night and day with the way that we fund our social services, which are the yeah. ones that are the long-term, um, you know, create the long-term healthy outcomes. And so nonprofits are not funded to um, actually provide all the support that is required in society. So we have to almost beg for that. Yeah. And that's why volunteerism is so important. And I really encourage people to volunteer wherever they can, you know, whatever that looks like. But um so we we have to have a a good volunteer list. Right now we do have a pretty good volunteer list, but you know the shifts that are hard to cover are obviously the um, six p.m. to midnight is not as bad, but midnight to six a.m. Um, and I've had people ask. I want to make sure that I say this as well. I've had people ask, well, why don't we break it up into two hour increments so it's easier for people? And we can do that, and we will if we have to. But we're also trying to be trauma informed in the environment. I mean, think about you laying in your bed at night, if every two hours your door opened and closed and somebody came, new came in and sat down and there was some chattering because they've got to describe, mm -hmm. you know, how you're sleeping and what's in your room at the moment and, and what's what it's going to look like in two out, more hours. Mm -hmm. And so you're awoken every two hours. Then it doesn't necessarily defeat the purpose of having the warming center because, you know, you're still comfortable and cared for, but it really creates a negative situation for the people trying to sleep and rest so and we all know how it feels to be in the hospital when oh god yeah that's true hours, right yeah I mean, come on you have a people. baby and and they come in 
all the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's imagine that. So so yeah. a six hour shift is really standard. Um, it's it's really kind of we we try not to push it, but that's really the least you know like that's the least amount of time that I think we feel comfortable with. And so we need volunteers. We need people to sign up for those types of shows. So how? How? Because you know, as you as you can see, we're starting to run out of time. Yeah. Naturally. <laughs> yeah. Um, but how how can people who would like to volunteer get in touch so that they can do that? And I've also been asked by people if they if if people want to donate to the efforts, how do they do that? So mm-hmm. what's the mechanism? So, um. For because individuals, rather than foundations or or you know larger agencies that are stepping into support, because individuals, it's it, it's so much more free and flexible for us. Um, I will say that if people want to donate, obviously they can go to our website, which is um, BrookingsCoreResponse.org, and donate. And you can put warming center, but I would ask that people not, just because we're going to use those funds for the best purpose anyway. So just knowing that your donation goes to the the most essential service at the moment is hopefully helpful. Um, if you want to sign up to volunteer, we do have on our Facebook page, which is Brookings Core Response on Facebook, um, we do have some some links to sign up to volunteer for warming centers. But also, if you don't use Facebook, you can call our phone, 541-251-0825, and leave a message Say for it the again. administrative. Say that name. 541 541- two five one zero eight two five and then you'll probably i think there's an option to leave a message for the administrative office or you can go on our website and just um there's a little form on there to contact us or to sign up to volunteer and so there's a lot of ways that you can do that um and yeah just reach out to me we'll plug you in good good um and I'm I'm assuming that we will know uh, when the warming centers need to be open if we just kind of keep an eye on the on the yeah. temperature. Keep an eye on the weather. Um, we're yeah. we're working on our policy right now. Um, the city's working Good. on a policy. We'll we'll just have to see what that that brings. Yeah. But I anticipate if you see it's under 36 degrees, please sign up to volunteer. Right. Diana, thank you so much. Um, you know, a, again, a wonderful conversation. Um, we didn't get to any of the stuff I wrote down, (laughs) (laughs) but we will, we'll get to it. Yeah. (laughs) But thank you for, for everything you do. And, and please, you know, listening audience, thank you for tuning in. And if you feel moved to help in some way, um, please do. A strong, resilient community leaves no one behind. And you just never know what someone's going to accomplish in their lifetime. So let's lift each other up. I'm Candace Michelle, and this is Our Community.